Micro ball, small ball, the Lakers' big lineup. Does this series determine the future of basketball? Is everybody going to go small or are we going to see a rejuvenation of true bigs and traditional basketball? All right, so we're two games into this Lakers-Rockets series. It's 1-1. Surprise. Breaking news from Alchemy. And I know everybody's killing Russ. Like, look, I'm not telling y'all something you don't know here. And it just, it appears like Russell Westbrook is the weak link for the Houston Rockets. Now, there has been phases in time during this season before the stop where Russ looked like he was really turning things around. And I said myself, like, look, man, it seems like he's kind of changed the culture. Even when he wasn't playing in the bubble, his energy on the bench and, you know, you hear Austin Rivers saying he's the best teammate he's ever played with. And it seemed like it had kind of changed the culture in Houston a little bit. And you're seeing the Rockets play some of the best defense we've seen them play. I know a lot of you will argue that that 18 team, you know, they had they were more versatile. They had size. But as far as their rotations and even Harden seems to be buying in a little more on the defensive end. And you saw last night where Russ was getting the Tony Allen treatment, right? He was getting the Lou Dort treatment. And in the past, what we've seen him do is attack the rim and be super aggressive on the catch. I, I like to call it a rocker step where you kind of hop to the catch and then just launch and you use your momentum. And he's really good at that. The problem is you look at the Lakers size and their rim protection. And I think that's got him settling for jump shots. And then you combine that with the fact that, look, Westbrook is not in shape yet. Right. I don't know how many games he missed, but when you are a explosive athlete like Westbrook, it's going to take longer. It's going to be more apparent when you're out of shape. Harden doesn't is never in shape, so it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, I got to find a way to take a shot at the beard. But uh, but my point is, is that there are various reasons why we're not seeing him attack the rim. I think number one is the size Anthony Davis McGee, their front line. It, it's it's not as easy to finish. And then two, again, when you're not in shape and you're, you're fatigued, you don't quite have your legs under you, you're more likely to settle for outside shots. And it just got me to thinking last night, like, boy, they're missing CP. Like, what type of nightmare would the Lakers be dealing with if that was Chris Paul instead of Russell Westbrook? There'd be nowhere to turn. There'd be nowhere to help off. Of. And that's really what it boils down to when you look at the Rockets' scheme and their system that's what it's all based around. The concept is we've spread you out with five shooters. You can't help off anybody. And it it's as simple as putting one guy on the floor that can't shoot and it disrupts everything. And all of a sudden, it allows the Lakers to use their size. Now, when you can send a help defender, you saw how aggressive they got with Harden. And it's a problem, man. Now, Russ, his greatest strength is his competitive spirit and his confidence. So I expect him to bounce back one way or another. I think they're going to have to play faster, and I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to get met at the rim. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's not Steven Adams lumbering self in there. It's a little different, man. It's, it's the probably should have been defensive player of the year. I'm not even going to get into that. I'm not even going to get into that. But, you know, again, back to the thought of what if that was Chris Paul, and you say, well, damn, man, they, they, the Rockets would really probably – would you favor, let me ask you, would you favor the Rockets in this series if you swapped out Chris Paul for, for Russell Westbrook? But then when you start to play that hypothetical game, you say, well, then maybe they never trade Capella because 
CP likes a big pick and roll partner, and so maybe they're more traditional, and who knows? But the bottom line is, is that it totally breaks the scheme, the concept of their offense with Russ on the floor, and they've found workarounds around it during the regular season, but that was when Russ was in shape and he wasn't facing the best rim protection in the NBA. Now, I thought Harden played well enough for them to win. Again, they are able to be more aggressive with him because they don't have to guard Russ. And I thought he made most of the right reads. And again, I I don't really have a complaint with him. I thought he was there. I had tweeted out in game one, it's so funny how Harden's demeanor, his energy on the court for this series completely switched. There was no more fear in his body like we saw in that game seven. And I'm not here to argue with you Rocket fans and people that were saying, you know, he's turned the corner. Look, it's very clear, James Harden, when the lights get bright and the pressure's on, the game seven moments, he wants nothing to do with the ball. That's fine. So that means you need a guy that does. And we know Russ does. The problem is, do you trust Russ with the ball? So ultimately, I think Houston is going to find themselves in a predicament. That's not to say I don't think this series is a long series. I heard Draymond Green tweet out, uh, P.J. Tucker might be the greatest corner three-point shooter of all time. Draymond's been on TNT, right? What does Shaq say? What does Shaq say? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Right? Stop it, Draymond. Stop it. Look, he is a prolific. He may, P.J. may be one of the more prolific corner three-point shooters, but he's far from a great shooter. It's volume. What is he shooting? 36, 37%. He had a nice night last night. Look, I'm not taking away nothing from Tucker. I still think he is underrated as far as his value and what he provides overall, but let's not let, let's not go there with that, Draymond. By the way, Draymond, why don't you get on that? Speaking of corner three-point shooting, why don't, why don't you get on that? Um, are we seeing playoff Rondo? Are we going to see playoff Rondo here? We all know that Rondo has another gear a.k.a. playoff Rondo, much like LeBron, right? It's a thing. And it appeared like it, it you know, he, his second game back, getting his feet wet. Is it his second, third? I don't know, whatever. Maybe getting his feet wet, and he had a huge impact. He had a huge impact. Um, the thing with Rondo, much like Russ, when it goes bad, it goes really bad. And you wonder how long the leash will be for Vogel, who seems to really trust him and, and lean on him. But if I was a Lakers fan, I think I'm a, I, personally, I'm more concerned with Danny Green. I know he hit three threes last night, but is Danny Green still a good defender? Is Danny Green still a good defender? Because my eyes are kind of telling me no. I know styles make fights and specific matchups determine that. But he just doesn't seem like, you know, I, I think at this point in his career, I don't think he can guard the perimeter like he used to, and he's not quite big enough to to switch down and, and, and be that versatile. So the fact that he's not a plus defender anymore, at some point, do you go to Waiters or JR to try to match the firepower of the Rockets? I don't I don't know. I if I were to guess, I think Vogel leans on Danny Green. You know, you've he's got rings and things and experience, and you just hope for the best, but I don't know, man. I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze if he's not going to be a plus defender because offensively, it's so hit or miss, right? But ultimately, like I said, I think it's going to be an extended series here, and there, there's a spooky element to playing the Rockets where 
even you saw it like the, the Lakers really dominated the first half. You're up 15, 20 points the whole way. It takes three or four minutes and the Rockets are right back. And I think that that's always in the back of your mind when you're playing them. And then JaVale McGee goes out. What Did JaVale have a groin strain? I got to check the IR on that. If, if it's a groin, a soft tissue thing, that, that means the series for him, unfortunately. I'm always pulling for JaVale, but maybe that's a blessing in disguise for the Lakers because it means more AD at the center position. I know you could go Dwight, but, you know, this would be the finesse move here for Vogel to just slide him over there. And AD, hey, he did what he did. We got it. Everybody, I, I'm I'm one of them. I'm always pointing out, how, you know, how soft AD is. Are you going to step up? What it is, he stepped up. He did what he was supposed to do. I was a little concerned early on when he didn't get some early touches, but he dominated like he should. And then you see Markeith step up. You're not going to get that every night. Like, right, the Lakers had some unexpected uh, offensive output. When you look at Rondo and Markeith, and that's why I bring up how long do you stick with Danny Green? But I can't call it. I really can't. I really can't. I, I think that it's going to be a back and forth series. It's going to be a series of runs. And like I said, I believe Russ will figure out a way to be effective. What do you say? I'm just running around out there. I'm just running around out there right now. Well, maybe he's got to get a bunch. I'd say initially, I'd say, all right, well, get to the line. Just go to the rim and get yourself to the line. But the fact is he can't shoot from the line either. So I don't know, man. I'm still leaning Lakers. I'm still leaning Lakers. But again, if the if the Rockets come out and hit 23s, what are you going to do? All right, let's talk a little bit about this Bucks Heat series. I've done a breakdown on it, and I've shot it out, Jimmy Bumstash Butler, and how, you know, look, I, I was one of a lot of people who believed in the toxic label, and, you know, the context matters. I think in the certain situations he was in, Jimmy was toxic, and now He's found the perfect environment. They've empowered him. I think the biggest, my biggest takeaway, I think, with Jimmy is now that they've empowered him and he is kind of their lead ball handler, he's far less selfish. When you saw him in Minnesota and you saw him in Philadelphia, he was he was like a second or third fiddle a lot of the time. And so when he got the ball, he was he was too forceful with it. He was he had too much tunnel vision, and I think he was too out to prove like what he could do. But now that he's been empowered and he's able to run the offense for a lot of the time, he's a he's a much better playmaker than I thought he was. And then you've just got this mix of confidence, swagger, and toughness. And the Bucks, obviously, you know, the writing is on the wall here. Um, Bud and those boys were able to pinch one out late. Credit to them for the gritty performance. But, you know... Uh, Bud's gone. You can see it. It's written all over his face. Everybody's speculating where Giannis is going to go and what this, and I, I've got a video coming on some theories, some dark horse stuff like that. I'm not going to dive into that, but I think, you know, the Bucks, it, it, when you're down 3-1 here, is it going to be as hard to fight? There's various reasons why they're not going to win this next game. One, they're just not the better team, but you got, you know, Giannis is hurt. So you don't think you can pull it out in the back of your mind. And then the fact that don't you just want to go home? I'm sure a lot of these dudes, when these series, as these series extend out and a, and a team is down, is it going to be harder to fight? Because ultimately you just want to go home and get out of the bubble. I, I just, I wonder about that element, right? And Eric Bledsoe, man, like, like first, no, no, let me start with Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton made a lot of tough shots. He's a tough shot maker. And that's a double-edged sword because when you're a tough shot maker, you tend to settle for tough shots. 
And that's why I think he can't really be that go-to guy down the stretch of close games, even though he did, he was, he was in that game and credit, he hit some threes. But again, do you want to live with those shots? They're tough shots. I know he's capable of making them, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Eric Bledsoe. He's been disappointing, right? And I know he had, what, a hamstring or something like that. Eric Bledsoe is the epitome of a fringe starter. And what I mean by that is, remember when he was a clipper behind Chris Paul, young, out of Kentucky? He he didn't even start at Kentucky, right? He was a six-man at Kentucky. That team was loaded, though, to be fair. But when Bledsoe was a third guard, a backup guard, Everybody really liked him. Like, you know, that was like the hipster thing. Like, hey, man, I like Eric Bledsoe, man. He's physical. He's tough, athletic, you know, all, all the things you like about him, right? But then, once he go to Phoenix, he becomes a star. He gets a big bag. Now he's your starting guard. And all those expectations, now the narrative is, man, he's kind of a bum. He's not living up to expectations. And so I think Bledsoe is one of those guys that he's just on the fringe, like, He's good enough to where on most teams you want to start him and you want to pay him big like a star, but really he's caught in between because ideally he's a backup guard. And when he's that role, then you appreciate him and and you accept his limitations. But when you give him an $80 million contract and you start him, now you're starting, those warts are less hard to ignore and and he becomes a, a player that no one wants. So I think that's what you're seeing with him. But ultimately with Milwaukee, you know, Bud's going to be gone. The CP3 rumors, let those fly. Um, Maybe Middleton will be gone. You know, I don't know. You know, they're going to have to try to shift some of these ancillary parts. The problem is Milwaukee doesn't really have any assets. I mean, Brooke Lopez, we just got done talking about Bledsoe with his contract. I don't think he's viewed as an asset. And then you've got Middleton. You know, I don't know what DiVincenzo would, would, would get you or Connington, right? Those are those are add-in pieces. That's not going to bring you, net you something big. Middleton and Lopez are the only pieces that they could potentially shift for assets. So Bud's got to get all the way up out of there. His system has been proven to not work. That's how I feel about it. Anyway, what y'all think? What is what is the first move out to, off, off of Bud? Everybody's going to say get rid of Bud personnel wise is it cp is it move middleton i've heard cj mccullum's name getting thrown out there because look they're not going to come up off Giannis. like they're going to hold on to the bitter end i'm out y'all i've been winning so long as like